Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. Today, I'm speaking with Lucy Tomashova, a mother and Montessorian who lives in Prague. Lucy shares her experiences working in Africa over the past 20 years with the NGO that she now runs. She also talks about the joys and challenges of bilingual parenting. Lucy has three children and her partner has two, and how the bilingual experience has been a bit different for each of her children. Lucy is also the founder of the Childhood Potential online Montessori conference happening in November. We talk all about how the idea to hold a free online Montessori conference came about and why she refuses, under any circumstances, to charge a registration fee for the conference. I'm very excited to be a speaker at this conference. I'll be presenting on learning a second or third language in the first plane of development. I hope you'll join me for that presentation and for some of the many other presentations that will be live during the conference from November 15th to 21st, 2021. You can find the link to sign up in the episode description. The conference is completely free to attend live. My presentation will be on November 17th. But you can also purchase a lifetime access pass to have the videos forever. And a special request, if you do decide to purchase the Lifetime Access Pass, I'd so appreciate it if you would use the link in the episode description. I get a bit of credit for everyone who signs up using my link. All right, let's get right into my conversation with Lucy. Well, hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for being on the Multilingual Montessori podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, so to begin, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you live, what you do, and about your family. Oh, wow, that, that's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> you can do well, it one at so a time. <laughs> okay, so my name is Lucia, or Lucy, or however you want to uh, say that. Uh, I come from Prague, from Czech Republic. Um, I am uh, mainly, I guess now I'm a mom uh, of uh, three of my own kids, uh, sometimes two of my partner's kids. So uh, the family gets big. (laughs) Uh, My kids are 12, nine and one and a half. So the small one is still taking some time. And, uh, and otherwise, I, um, I run an NGO uh, that, where we do projects in Kenya and in Guinea, in Africa. And then uh, I have an online store, uh, online shop with Montessori materials that, um, uh, that sells throughout Europe, but mainly here in Czech, Slovakia, Poland and around. And then, uh, and then we have uh, the online courses and um, and the Challenge Potential Conference. So that's the projects that I do, and I guess that's about it. Yeah. So you definitely keep busy. <laughs> um, yeah. We are going. 
we're going to get into all of that. Um, but first, I would love to hear about how you first found out about Montessori and um, take us through your Montessori journey. How did, that, how did you get to where you are today? Well, uh, my son was born 12 years ago, almost 13 years ago. And my really good friend at the time uh, was working uh, at a Montessori preschool. Uh, she is a AMI trained teacher and she, she just started working at a school. And before we were building an orphanage together in India. So we have or had still have a very close relationship and she was telling me like now I'm doing this and and I'm just totally in love with Montessori and and in that time of course you are sensitive you know the kid is just born you are somehow um searching for the journey that mm. uh that will guide your uh parenthood or I don't know how to say that but but I, I was searching Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, since we had this close relationship with my friend, um, I got interested, and that's I guess how the whole journey started. Uh-huh. And trainings came, uh, thousands of books came, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and then yeah, the whole ride started. <laughs> yeah. And um, and how many years did you work in a did you work in a classroom in the Czech Republic? Uh, actually, I never worked in a classroom uh, because I was always uh, busy traveling um, in between Czech and Kenya and sometimes mm-hmm. Guinea, and and I was working a lot with schools in Africa. And then when I was in Czech, I was concentrating on my shop and on my kids. And um, there was no time to actually get into the classroom (laughs) here in Prague. Got it. So tell us about your work in Kenya and Guinea. Uh, What brought you there? And uh, and I'd love to, of course, also hear how multilingualism played a part in that experience. Yeah, well... um, I went to Kenya for the first time when I was 17 and I was still in my high school and I wanted to volunteer. And uh, later on, I joined the NGO where, where, which I'm uh, the director of right now. And we, I went to Kenya with them when I was 19 and it was more I would say like not organized journeys. We were a couple of friends and we wanted to do something good. And we didn't agree with how most of the organizations who come to uh, African countries, or you can also talk about Asian countries, some of the Asian countries, but uh, we didn't like how they were organizing the projects. We didn't like the the concept of the you know the white men coming somewhere and knowing everything and mm-hmm. eating the whole <laughs> <laughs> then uh, so we somehow tried to look at things differently and we tried to make a team of local uh, students mainly university students who would agree with what we say and the main thing that we were saying was that any international aid that is coming 
uh, and is organized outside of the place where it's actually taking uh, place at, that it's wrong, that it's actually hurting the people uh, at the ground and then that it's making the people dependent and it's a new form of colonialism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it started more like with this, I don't know how to say that, like a revolution thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we formed uh, an amazing team of students uh, from Nairobi University. If I, if I talk about Kenya, of course, in Guinea, it was, um, it was in Conakry, it was a different place. But I went to Kenya for the first time because my English was better than my French. Mm. And um, so we formed this team. And with these people, we started to organize projects or we more supported the projects that they wanted to organize at, the, at their places where they came from. And we believe that we cannot organize anything as, you know, people coming from outside, but we can support the people who are at the ground and who come from that place and who know what they should do and how they should do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, first we started with different courses for adults, uh, like um um we call it alphabetization courses which means uh teaching people how to read and write at their older age Mm -hmm. and and then we also opened a couple of um i wouldn't call it schools but places where kids could go and spend time because in in that time it's almost 20 years ago um in kenya uh there were no uh, public schools that would be free to attend oh. so there were many children on the street and they didn't go to school and it was frustrating to you know to walk Monday morning <laughs> around the city and you could see so many kids just just around so we started that and the university students what they did um, for example in one group they took a, an old bus that was not working anymore and it was just at a, at a garbage site somewhere mm. and they took it and they made a classroom out of that old wow. <laughs> non-functioning bus and they were taking turns like Mondays it would be I don't know Susan Tuesdays it would be Charles uh, uh-huh. Wednesdays and, and every day and a different student was coming there so we had these kids um, in the bus at the beginning <laughs> and, and this happened at many places because actually the educational part was the most important part like what the people wanted to change on the ground Mm. and then um it just got bigger and our schools started to grow and from that one bus you know we bought uh, a land and on that land we built a whole school and uh, and during the past many years we have opened more than 12 schools and each one of the schools has, I don't know, more than 500 kids already. So, so that's, that's what happened. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about the, the children and what memories you have of working with the children and, um, and how multilingualism played a part in that experience. Well, that was actually one of the things that when we talked about going on your podcast, uh, I was thinking about 
about the fact that kids in Kenya very often speak more than three languages because there is English, which is an official, you know, language, um, usually at schools together with Swahili, which is a language that is common for the East African countries. And then in Kenya, if I talk only about Kenya, there is more than 42 tribes and each one of the tribes has its own language. Wow. Meaning that if, I don't know, my kids would be playing outside with, with kids from, I don't know, from the neighbors and we would be, I don't know, uh, spending time in the city where most of the tribes, you know, come. So they are mixed. Mm-hmm. then my kids would be having their own uh, like a family language, like a tribe language, but they would also speak probably the language of their friend because they would hear it, their parents speaking with them. So that would be already a fourth language for them mm-hmm. because the tribal language is the one that you know they keep uh, from their parents. Mm-hmm. And then if the tribes mix, then... Uh, then they have, you know, more than one tribe language that they know. Wow. And uh, and it's not that, for example, here in Czech, people tell me like, okay, well, it's almost like if you speak in Czech and you understand Slovakian because it's very similar. It's not like that. The languages are very often very different. Mm. So that was going to be my question. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so I know many, many people who who can speak easily four or five languages and and they are actually their mother tongues. You know, they are not something that they would have to learn very hard at school. Mm-hmm. It's something that they encountered since they uh, since they were very small. So they are very natural for them. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, so in the um, in the schools or in the centers where the children went were they taught in English and Swahili yes they were taught in English and in Swahili Mm, wow and um and how many languages do you speak did you pick up some um Swahili and some other tribal languages while you were there well I think I understand some Swahili um like, for example, if I listen to a conversation, I know what is going on and I, I know what the people are saying. I don't think I would be able to speak. Mm-hmm. And I don't have really, I'm not pushed to speak in Swahili because everyone speaks in English. So it's, mm. uh, it's yeah. just not happening. And sometimes I feel bad, like being lazy to <laughs> not do that. But, but since many of my friends, of course, when they talk with each other, they speak in Swahili or they speak with their tribe language when they come from the same area uh, then of course I'm somehow pushed to understand so I I was learning uh, for a few years so I guess I understand almost everything but um, I never talked Mm. and with the tribal languages of course when you go somewhere for example if we go somewhere you know up country to Lake Victoria where you have only the tribe language where the where the small children or their grandmas and grandpas they don't speak any other language than tribe the tribal language they don't even speak english or swahili mm. then you are somehow pushed to at least you know know how to say hi how are you you know how did you sleep how are you mm. feeling why are you not at school <laughs> <laughs> 
and these uh, these like basic questions what's your name and how old are you mm. and then uh, uh, and coming away from Africa I at school I was learning Spanish German and French I wouldn't say that I know these languages I it would take me time to go back I would say Spanish and German would be much better than French but yeah so that's my language mm. and um and how old were you when you started learning English um well I was still born during the communist area uh, uh during the communist times so we were not allowed to learn English but my my aunt uh, moved to United States during the uh during our occupation so uh somehow we stayed in touch with uh with them and um uh, and my grandpa was teaching me uh i don't i don't want to say secretly but somehow you know no one knew wow but it was it was only a uh, you know a few minutes per per week it wasn't anything you know that i would be in touch with the language and then i started learning english uh at school yeah, i don't know i was more than 10 mm. Wow. Okay. So, so I would say, I would say late. <laughs> <laughs> well, your English is, is wonderful. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> um, so, okay. And, oh, I just have one more question about the NGO. What is the name of the NGO and what does your work for them now look like? What kind well, of the NGO is called Center Dialogue. Um, I will tell you website, but it's only in Czech, but the website is centrumdialog.cz. Um, so it, it wouldn't tell you much, I guess, <laughs> because of the language. And what we do right now, like our main project right now is we call it distance adoption. It's a project where we support individual children through individual people here in Czech and Slovakia, meaning that the person uh, sends around $20 per month and we take this money and we uh, buy, uh, we pay for school fees and we pay for books and we pay for lunch for a child, for an individual child in the other country. And then uh, it's not only about the money, but it's also about the relationship that somehow creates because of the connection of this individual uh, in Europe and this kid in Africa. Mm. So that's, I guess the biggest project right now that takes most of our time because it is it's actually extremely admin like administrative I don't know how you say that for bureaucratic work oh yeah yeah it's it's all and, administrative work yeah that makes yeah. sense and uh, and then we of course continue doing uh, or working on our schools or supporting the schools that we helped to build and um and we work a lot on making the schools um how to say that like more non-violent and uh, more with love for learning and i don't want to say like trying to make them montessori not really because uh, that's almost i would say it's almost impossible but yeah. but trying to for for those teachers and for those uh, parents uh, give them a chance to all, also involve uh, Montessori, get their 
at least get some courses. Uh, we have a few classrooms at some of the schools who try to uh, work with materials and try to go this way, but um, I guess I would be afraid to call it a Montessori classroom. Mm. But it's it, it it's with the intention of going there. <laughs> oh, cool! Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yes. Okay, well that that leads us into Montessori. So I'd love to talk a little bit about Montessori and um, and Montessori in your own life. So um, you mm -hmm. said you did. Montessori training when your first child was very young. So yes. how do you think that um, Montessori has informed your parenting style or approach and how are things different in how you raised your oldest child maybe and now how you're raising your young child? <laughs> That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I think it's changed uh, the, the style that I would I, I guess I would follow my parents and and my I think my parents did their best and uh, they they were I guess really wonderful and respectful uh, when they were raising me and my brother. Um, but still, of course, I tried uh, for my kids at home to be more independent, uh, to be more you know, having a chance to, uh, I don't know if you, for example, if you just look at practical life, you know, to use glasses, to use knives, to help me mm. in the kitchen. Uh, I guess for my mom, of course, it was hard to um, let me cook with her because it would just be more time consuming. <laughs> so uh, things like that, like uh, I would say practical thing. And then of course, when you look at, uh, you know, communication styles, um, when you look at some, when, if you want to give the kids some kind of freedom within limits, um, I think we didn't have this freedom, for example, to choose sometimes to mm. choose, I don't know what, what we are going to do during the weekend or what I'm going to wear. Or I think my parents were more authoritative. Um, and, um, so I guess, of course, this, this um, influenced me a lot. And, uh, and I'm, I'm already thinking about the second part of the question, how it, <laughs> how it <laughs> changed uh, during the time when, when I had my firstborn and now the thirdborn. And I think now I'm more uh, relaxed. Uh, I don't think too much about too many things i guess that's also because i don't have time for that <laughs> but <laughs> but also maybe because some of the things become automatic you know like you know exactly how you want to say things and when you are calm and when you had enough of sleep and when you ate something then you are able to talk in the way <laughs> that you mm. want to talk and uh, and i guess these I don't want to say phrases, but sometimes you just use the same phrases. So these come easily to my mind. And of course, then when uh, when I'm breastfeeding the whole night because the little one is teething, then um, it's very hard to use any learned 
Um, and how do you think, um, are there any, any new challenges or any ways that you're changing your parenting style a little bit with your oldest child, who's now entering the third plane of development is anything surprising you or anything challenging or anything changing as he grows older? I think of course, (laughs) There are uh, many things also because of the combined family that we have, like we have actually uh, three kids that will be in their teenage years. Oh. And, uh, and then and, uh, my daughter is nine and, and then the little one. So sincerely having three teenagers in the house sometimes is overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I especially bet. <laughs> when you when you want to give the uh, independence and um, and when you want to talk about things and so it it is challenging. It's also helpful with the little one because she is totally in love with all of her siblings, which Aww. makes it easier. You know that when you want to go and take a shower, you just go and take a shower because someone will take care of her. Yeah. And, uh, but also, of course, what surprises me is how, um, how all of the three kids, they can think for themselves completely, you know, like you give them an argument, you want them to do something and they can come up with 10 arguments (laughs) (laughs) why, why you are wrong. And, uh, so of course it is challenging. I think that, you know, every parent can say that. Mm-hmm. But I love that age as well because somehow you see the the you see the person that is um, how how to say that like, I would say uh, that yeah. it's like a it's like a rocket you know like you are preparing all the things you know you are building the rocket the whole childhood somehow and then uh, during this age around the twelve thirteen. Uh, the rocket is just, you know, it just started. So you just see smoke and you don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> and there is fire and smoke everywhere. And then you are just hoping that when the rocket comes back after three, four years, that it will be, it will land safely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah. It's like at that age, you can really like see glimpses of the adult that is emerging that is yes. going to going that they're going to be in five six seven years yeah uh, I love that rocket analogy <laughs> and um, also I think in this time you can just pray that you build it in a in a correct way yeah <laughs> you cannot really do much <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so tell me about what bilingualism looks like in your family and in your daily routine well, uh, both of my kids, um, their dad was talking with them in English. That's a decision that we made when they were little, uh, when, in, when Jakub was one year old. And we were thinking about, like, we travel a lot. We are spending lots of time in Kenya uh, and all, all, all around the world. We have many friends from all around the world coming to our house. So English was heard and the one-year-old didn't really understand. So um, so 
we were thinking, okay, so what are we going to do about this? Because we need him to be bilingual. And it's easier, of course, to start that from the beginning. So with the first kid, we started when he was one year old. And with the second kid, with Veronica, she, uh, uh, her dad was talking with her in English since she was born completely from the beginning. Mm. And, uh, and I think there was no difference really for the kids. Uh, of course, with Jakub at the beginning, he was confused a bit, but we were also using sign, baby sign language. Mm. So, so we used the sign language to make a bridge between the two languages. Ah, so when, when, I, when I was asking him if he wants to drink, you know, I was showing the sign. And when his dad was asking him the same thing, he was showing the same sign. So he somehow understood. So that was a bridge that helped. Uh, when we didn't start from from when they were born or when he was born and with the second one with Veronica it was just you know she understood from the beginning because that was the language that she was she was learning from the beginning and she heard it from the beginning Mm -hmm. even though uh, with their dad at home we were talking in Czech so Um, and both of the kids went to international school when uh, during their toddler years so they also went to a school where they spoke uh, mainly English which of course made it easier because my whole family was speaking or uh, or all their grandmas and grandpas they were speaking with them in Czech so the father at the beginning was the only English Mm. (laughs) person there Uh, so of course English was much um, I would say slower or not as uh, used for them. But then when they went to school, uh, it changed. And, uh, and now I think they are like completely bilingual. And uh, sometimes they use, you know, sometimes when they come and they want to me to help them with something. And sometimes it happens that they don't know the Czech word for something. So they tell me, uh. you know, this <laughs> in English. <laughs> And, uh, and the third one, the little one right now, we are both talking with her in Czech. So I'm just hoping that uh, the, the, the school will help. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I will try probably to use uh, um, a method, you know, when you, when you, when you talk with the kid in a different language in a in a special setting Mm, yeah so probably I will do that um I guess I was too lazy so far to do that (laughs) you've had a you've had a lot on your plate you've been very busy (laughs) somehow but I don't want to say I don't want to you know say like I had too much on my mind no it, it was you set the priorities and I guess this wasn't a priority so far. Yeah. Um, do your yeah. older children still go to a school where they speak English or is it taught as a second language um, in their school? Veronica is going still uh, to the international Montessori school. So she's still in an uh, English Montessori environment. She's an upper elementary. Hmm. And uh, Jakub went to um, a high school or in in the US it would be a middle school but here mm-hmm. we have like after after class 5 they can go to 
uh, at like a junior high school. Mm-hmm. So he went there and uh, he has a couple of subjects. It's like a normal traditional school. So there was, of course, a huge change from a Montessori environment to a traditional setting. But it's it's a it's more a language school. So they have a few subjects they have in English, a few subjects they have in Czech, and he is doing intensive Spanish. So they will have few subjects in Spanish. So I guess he's doing okay. And and it's really interesting because, for example, when they meet with their Czech friends with whom they went to the international Montessori school before, they still speak in English together. Oh wow. So they come to our house where everyone speaks Czech. They are all Czech. They all speak Czech. But then when they talk with each other, they always speak in English, which is amazing how they really switch to a different part of their brain somehow. (laughs) Yeah, that is amazing. Oh, cool. Um, So tell me about the decision for uh, their dad to speak to them in English. And was that hard to maintain that? in your family was it strange as a you know as a parenting experience was it strange for you and him to be speaking different languages and how did that decision come about I think it was hard at the beginning because you know everyone looks at you like what what are you doing why are you doing that (laughs) and and of course it was hard to keep speaking in English all the time for example you are going for a walk and you're on a I don't know children's playground everyone is speaking in Czech you are speaking with all the other parents in Czech and then your kid comes and you mm. switch to English so and the other kids don't understand so you speak to the other kids in Czech <laughs> so it was it was confusing but uh I think when and also for our family, you know, like, why are you doing it? They At the beginning, the support was not there as much since mm-hmm. they couldn't see any results. And then, you know, after a few months, after a year or two, when the kids start to talk in both of the languages fluently, everyone is just like, wow, good. You know, we have a bilingual grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, all the support is okay. <laughs> and no one is asking weird questions like, why are you doing that? So I guess um, the support came after the first results. Mm, I see. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. And, um, and what is their dad a native English speaker? And if not, how did you both? decide that he was going to be the one to speak in English well it was it was easy he is Czech uh, but he spent uh, more uh, he spent a couple of years in the U.S. so his English is you wouldn't I think he doesn't have any accent he his Mm. English is perfect like you wouldn't you wouldn't see that he's not native and my English is much 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 worse and uh, I wouldn't be able to talk with my English, uh, with my kids in English. Yeah. And um, do you think that it was, well, I guess not if, if he was so comfortable in English, I was going to say, do you think it, that it was strange at first for him um, to be speaking in English or, or do you think it was a pretty comfortable experience? I think it was strange for sure at the beginning. And also you don't have all the vocabulary, you know, like uh, 
you don't use the vocabulary that you have with the little babies. Mm. Uh, you don't have that in a language that you learn at school. Right. <laughs> that's that's not that's not that's not uh, that's not words that you are using normally. So at the beginning, we used a lot of uh, Google Translate app. <laughs> like, so how do you say this? Yeah. And uh, but then somehow it was okay. Like we both, as I said, like we both had many international friends and English was used um, daily mm-hmm. with them. So it was not uh hard to use it also with the kids wow and actually then it happened harder you know when when Jakub was maybe five or six years old he asked his dad to try to talk with him in Czech and that was hard for them because it was a completely different situation oh wow why why do you think that he asked around that age I think he just wanted to try mm-hmm. you know like he started to realize, okay, my dad is Czech. So why is he talking with me in English? Like they were asking these questions mm. and, uh, and then uh, they tried. And actually after what, maybe they were, they were less than six years. I think maybe they were four or five because after a, a week or two, we saw that uh, the vocabulary in English got a little worse Wow. And that they, they started to use more Czech language in their English sentences. So so then we we told Jakub, like, okay, so let's make a decision. It's either English with your dad or it's it's Czech, but we cannot combine it because then it would not just work out. And he by that time he said that he wants his dad to speak in English with him. Mm. So we just continued, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so <laughs> great. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the Childhood Potential Conference that's happening in November, <laughs> which I'm very excited and honored to speak at. Um, so tell me about how this will be the third conference that you've hosted. So tell me about how the idea to hold a free online Montessori conference first came about. Uh, I think it is connected deeply with the with the NGO that I'm doing and with all the projects that I do in Kenya because I wanted our our teachers in our schools to have the information that they couldn't afford otherwise. You know, I wanted this uh, teacher at Lake Victoria who never went even to the capital of Kenya mm. and, and never left the village. And I wanted her to have the information that I had. I wanted her to have the same possibilities that I had. And there is no other way how to do that than to make it online and free. Mm-hmm. Because if you make it paid, I would say 95% of the people who are interested, they cannot afford it. And, uh, and the fact that they just cannot afford it financially, it's, it's not fair. It's, I don't see it as something that 
Uh, that is fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I really want. Um, I really believe that the only way most of the countries can get out of poverty, and and I talk about like real poverty, not not something that I cannot buy a new TV set. That some 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 people <laughs> in Europe can view that you know like. Uh, we don't have money we cannot buy the new tv that's not poverty you know like mm. i'm really talking about my kids go hungry every day mm-hmm. and in that uh view it's not about if i buy uh an online training or if i go for a training to a different country or even to our capital or if I buy food for my kids, that's, it's just, you know, like out of question that no one make a, makes a decision like that. So I really wanted this information to go to these places. And, and I didn't want to give them only some information, you know, like something, um, I don't want to call it cheap, but, you know, something cheap and not so uh of high quality Mm. and and I felt like okay so we need to make this high quality but free so making it online was the only way and we tried to do offline trainings in our schools in Kenya but it was so damn expensive and it was so Mm. hard like you don't really find a Montessori trainer or even an AMI trained Montessori teacher (laughs) who would just go to Kenya and spend time there to teach teachers who have no idea about anything that you are talking about and and teachers who are already feeling that they are completely out of their mind when they refuse to, for example, um, use canes or use violence in in the classroom. That's, you know, like it's a completely shift of mind. Mm. so it was very expensive for us to uh, bring someone and and actually the the friend that I was talking about at the beginning who we were building the orphanage in India together she was the one who went with me to Kenya and we organized uh, uh, a a course uh, for parents for parents and for teachers at our schools and it was amazing. We had so many teachers interested, but it was so hard to organize, like really, really, really hard to organize there. And, and I'm used to organize things. <laughs> <laughs> so for her, it was completely out of her mind. So, so then we, yeah, so we came up with, uh, with the Childhood Potential Online Conference that would be for free. And um, and we did it this way uh, that it would be free during the time that it's taking place. And the people would also have a chance to buy the recordings uh, for them you know, to listen to in six months or eight months or in one year so they can come back to them. And from selling of the recordings, we could actually organize it because it is, uh, yeah, it is challenging. It's... Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work. (laughs) I bet. I can't even imagine. Um, Tell us about the charitable aspect of the conference. Yeah, of of course, since uh, we come from this background or I come from this background, um, I wanted also to find a way how we can support these schools that 
um, that don't have finances, but they, for example, want to have Montessori materials in their classroom, or they want, uh, even if they want to make them locally, or they want um, to buy uh, books into their library or, you know, things like that. So, uh, so the decision was that, uh, except the fact that the conference is for free and will be for free, um, and we are not going to change that. Like many people told us like, you are doing this for free, but it's, you know, ruining the other events. Uh, oh. We will not, sh- we will not <laughs> change this. It will, this, this is, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to change my mind. And even, even sometimes the girls from my team, they say, you know, like if we charge only a little bit, you know, it would be easier. We would have at least some money for advertisement. <laughs> then, <laughs> No, we will be keeping it for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we will not change that. And if some money are spent, uh, are um, left after we organize everything and after we cover all the costs that uh, that we have, and there are many, uh, we want to use this money to support other projects. Yeah. Mm. Ah, I love that. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, so, so if you even have some very interesting projects around the world, you know, just send me the tips and, and we will see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll definitely, um, you know, leave the information in the show notes so people can reach out if they have um, interesting yeah. projects around the world. Um, so tell me a little bit about what attendees can expect at the conference. You mentioned a little bit, but tell us a little more about what the experience will be like for someone who wants to attend this conference. Well, we have amazing lineup. (laughs) 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 I, uh, I sincerely love the people who are going to speak at the conference. Uh, When I look at the program, when I look at the speakers, it makes me smile. It makes my heart sing and dance. <laughs> so uh, I really love the speakers that are involved. And, and I need to say thank you 1,000 times and even more times uh, to each one of them that they are involved uh, with this event. And, and I really appreciate each one of them coming to the conference. And uh, so I believe that everyone will find something. We have content for teachers. We have content for parents. We tried to concentrate on the, on the children's age from zero to six uh, to make it a little mm, narrower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyone who is working with kids in this age group, um, I believe that, <laughs> the, that they will find something uh, and no matter where they are, if in the classroom or at home. And uh, what we will have is more than 50 speakers. We will have seven days of uh, content. Each day we'll have uh, probably seven different talks. Uh, The talks will be open every day at 9 a.m. of my time, of Prague time, uh, Central European time. And they will stay up for 24 hours. This means that every person all around the planet has 24 hours <laughs> to watch uh, the seven talks if they want, or they can choose. Of course, no one expects that you would be sitting at the computer and watch all of the talks. It, it's 
Mm-hmm. And it also, it probably wouldn't be useful because some of the topics are not something that, you know, uh, you want to hear. But if, uh, uh, if the person wants, they can, they have the time. And, uh, and then the next day, the first day, you know, shuts down and the next day starts again, 24 hours and, and free access to everything. Uh, if the person wants more and is willing to pay, uh, then we have the lifetime access to all the recordings, which also means that we have uh, in the program, we have uh, live sessions, live Zoom uh, Q&As with some of the speakers. Probably we will have every day a, uh, a session with someone. So if you want something a little more or if you have questions that you want answered or if you just you know like some of the speakers and you want to see them talking like and have a chance to talk with them then uh, that's that's also an option mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I'm, I'm thinking uh yeah we try to make it uh cultural so you see uh Montessori applied in different cultures, in different regions around the world. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if I left anything out. Of course, we try to make a community around the conference uh, at our Facebook group. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for it. It was such a great <laughs> experience um, I, when I presented at the first one last November, and I'm very excited to present again. Um, so other than attending the Childhood Potential Conference in November, which of course everyone should, and I will put the link <laughs> in the episode description for this episode, um, what advice would you give to parents who are curious about Montessori who are are interested in raising their children from a Montessori perspective? Hmm. Uh, I think um, to be calm (laughs) (laughs) and to not look too much at all the perfect Instagram photos of all the perfectly prepared environments with all the perfect uh, uh, materials, uh, with all the perfect kids. <laughs> and I don't mean to be, um, you know, rude in any way. Uh, I just want to say that it's just photos. And uh, sometimes as parents, we uh, we feel that we are not doing enough or that we are doing something wrong or that... Um, we missed something uh, while raising our children. And uh, I think it's important to see that it's not like that, that we are doing the best that we can. Actually, the fact that your listeners are already listening to this podcast, they are already doing something for Mm -hmm. themselves and for their children. And uh, I think it's very important to... Uh, take care of ourselves as well to feel I'm okay I'm doing I'm doing okay and my child is okay and we 
love each other and that's that's a lot yeah <laughs> I don't know if, if that makes sense but yeah that was that was great advice I think ah oh, that was it's a wonderful reminder that you know Instagram is not real life and that what really matters is our intention and our you know putting our love for our children first yeah yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. This was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to Lucy for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Lucy on Instagram at Montessori Parenting underscore org. You can find out more about the Childhood Potential Conference at childhoodpotential.org. And remember, if you purchase the Lifetime Access Pass, I would love it if you would use the link posted in the episode description. Either way, I hope to see you at the conference, which runs from November 15th to 21st, 2021. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori. And you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. I'll link to all of these in the episode description. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And brand new this week, if you're interested in supporting this podcast and my work even more, you can now support me on Patreon. I'll be doing one bonus episode a month for Patreon subscribers where I do a deep dive on a topic related to language acquisition in young children and answer listener questions. You'll find the link to that in the episode description as well. Otherwise, if you enjoyed this episode, a wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.